0: Black Friday, I say those words and some of you, your heart starts racing because you're thinking of Black Friday as a day that you get deals. That's the, that's the weekend that you do Christmas shopping. and so. But some of you, your heart starts racing because you go, oh, I couldn't stand to deal with the crowds on Black Friday. And then a few other people, maybe like me, just go, I'll just avoid it if at all possible, but it doesn't really mean anything to me either way. But years ago, I worked for Walmart for seven years, and for several years, I got to avoid Black Friday. This was in the season where people were getting trampled to death, and things were going crazy in stores, and so for different reasons, I got to avoid working that weekend, but finally I could duck it no longer, and I, I had to work my first Black Friday. And at that point, I really was nervous, because there had been so many stories of people crushed at the doors or fighting over different toys in the aisles, and I was like, oh, what's this going to be like? So, that first year they i don't even remember what what product they put me in charge of, and ended up hearing that day of stories that of people attacking boxes of DVDs before the employees could get the boxes to the floor, people fighting over whatever the deals were on these other aisles, either whatever I had was either not popular enough for anybody to care or they were afraid of my mean face, and so everybody stayed in line that day but when I think of Black Friday and the stores are packed, I think of this, whatever you do, get stuff. Whatever you do, get a good deal. Whatever you do, make sure you don't miss out. Seems to be the the, the motto of Black Friday. Maybe it's the motto of our society is whatever you do, get more. Maybe more is more stuff. Maybe for you, The motto is, whatever you do, get more security. So maybe the motto is, whatever you do, get more respect. Whatever you do, get more freedom. Each one of us has some motto in our head. If I just, whatever I do, and maybe we even say it to our kids, either explicitly or implicitly, whatever you do, get something. We're in a series right now in Proverbs. Today, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 3 and 4. This series is called Wisdom and Folly because this this section of Proverbs is laying out Solomon to his son. Son, here are two ways that you always have to face. You always have to choose between wisdom and folly. And Proverbs 3 and 4 tell us, whatever you do, get... This is what I want to show you today. Proverbs 3 and 4 hang together as one message, not just a few selected verses. You might be familiar with some of them. But Proverbs 3 and 4 hang together, telling us, whatever you do, get wisdom. Specifically, in Proverbs chapter 4, which is really the center of this whole thing, it says, Proverbs chapter 4 says, get wisdom, get understanding. And then he says, the beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. So whatever you get, get wisdom. This is the center of Proverbs 3 and 4. And what I want to show you today in these sections is four guides to getting insight. Proverbs 3 and 4 lay out for us four guides to getting insight. Beginning in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Bob, you can go ahead and put those slides up. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor in a good name. In the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father of the son he delights in. The first guide that we see to getting insight is get insight even when it hurts. Get insight even when it hurts. Maybe you're new here, you haven't been here during this series, and you go, wait, wait, what are we talking about when we talk about insight? What is it we're talking about when we're talking about wisdom? Here in chapter 3, it lays out in very famous verses what wisdom is. What is wisdom? Wisdom is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. That's the long definition that we've earlier seen is described as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, because we can go, wait, terror? Like being scared? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 flesh that out saying, no, fear of the Lord means trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts and not leaning on the things that we know. You know, all our ways, submitting to Him, acknowledging Him, recognizing Him, and He will make your path straight. That is what it means to get wisdom and to get insight. Those are verses that I grew up hearing. Hearing them from my parents. Hearing them in the church. Super famous verses. And for a long time I thought, I don't like famous verses like that. But here in this section, it's not just a selected section. Hey, we can pull this out as nice advice to give to somebody. This is Solomon saying to his son, Son, you need wisdom. And then when we jump down a little bit farther, he's going to say, and sometimes wisdom hurts, but you need to know that wisdom starts with trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Then he begins to lay out what does that look like? It looks like being not, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. It looks like honoring the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. What Solomon is laying out here is that. Getting insight means that we have lives that live in a Godward direction. What John Piper would call a Godward life, where the inclination of our heart and the desires that we chase is actually towards God, and there's not a separation between our spiritual life on the one hand and our real life on the other. Sometimes we can easily go, well, this is spiritual stuff that happens at church, when I read my Bible, maybe at the dinner table with my family, but then there's work and there's money and there's relationships. And no, Solomon is bringing those together and saying, in all your ways, submit to Him. In all your ways, acknowledge God. And so he's bringing all of these things together. And then Solomon gets kind of practical and says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Sometimes wisdom is going to feel like discipline. Sometimes it's going to feel like, why is this so hard? Why am I being corrected? Solomon recognizes that it will be easy for us to despise and resent God's rebuke. That When we get it wrong and have to apologize, when we have to repent and turn around and go a different direction, everything else in us is going to rise up and say, no, no. No, I I don't don't want to turn. I don't want to turn back. This, This hurts too much. He says, do not despise or be weary. But notice why. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son that he delights in. What he's saying is that God. look at God's heart behind the discipline. Behind the difficulty. Don't just, don't just resent it. Don't just put up with it. But recognize that God has a heart behind his discipline so when things get hard, when you go, God, are you correcting me? Do I have to repent? Do I have to turn? Hey, God's heart is behind this. The easy comparison, which is what Solomon makes here, is as a father, the son that he delights in. But isn't that how we actually operate in the real world? That if somebody came up and cut me with a knife, then I would want to defend myself. If somebody wanted to cut my children, I would defend myself. But if it's a doctor with training, and with a heart, to cure sickness, then we'll let them cut on us and we'll let them cut on our children. We'll let them do hard we'll let dentists do hard work on our teeth because we know that they have training and heart to help us. And so that's the, that's the comparison. The comparison here is sometimes wisdom is going to hurt. And you wouldn't let just anybody do this to you, but recognize that God's heart is behind his discipline, God's heart is behind the difficulty. So trust God's heart and get insight. Even though wisdom is sometimes going to hurt. So if you're a child and you hear this, sometimes wisdom and folly are going to call to you. And sometimes wisdom is going to be the harder thing to choose. Solomon says, no, the hard things are often the good things. Don't despise it when it it gets hard. And so my question for all of us is, will you get wisdom even when it hurts? Sometimes wisdom and money is going to hurt. Sometimes wisdom in purity is going to hurt. Sometimes wisdom in our speech is going to mean discipline. Sometimes wisdom means apologies. But will we get insight even when it hurts? The second guide to getting insight we see in verses 13-20 to is value insight. Value insight. Value wisdom. Value it properly. Verse 13 starts with Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Blessed is this, this special word of God declared over a person's life. It's not what everybody else declares about us. It's what God declares from above onto our lives. But And notice that He says it's better than the return on gold. Solomon knew about gold. Solomon built a building with what would be currently valued at over $100 billion of gold alone. hundred $100 billion worth of gold in one building. He, and then silver, and then jewels, and then cedar, and then all of that stuff on one building. And Solomon says, Wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire, my son, can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he sent the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. And so Solomon says, get insight, because it's so valuable. My son, value wisdom. Because it is better. It is more precious. And so each one of us has to come to this and say, what are the things that I value? Is it health and long life? Solomon says wisdom is better. Is it riches? Solomon says wisdom is better. Is it honor from other people who say, good job, you're doing well, you look beautiful, you look handsome, you're so talented. Solomon says no. Wisdom is better. Is it pleasure and that good feeling that comes from a substance or relationships or things that we want to do? Solomon says, wisdom is better. Is it living at peace in the world and not having the strife at work? Not having strife in your marriage? Not battling with your in-laws anymore? Solomon says, my son, wisdom is better than all of that. Wisdom is better than all of that. A while back, I read a a children's book with my kids about different treasures. And in it, they told about this temple in, on the southwest coast of India. And it, I'm going to try and pronounce it. And it's it's Padmanabhaswamy is the name of the temple. It doesn't really matter. There's no test at the end of the service. But this temple, they have records that people have been bringing gold to it since 300 B.C. So 2,300 B.C. Well, I guess that'll be 2,400 years now. People have been bringing gold to make as offerings to the God of this Hindu religion. They're in that temple. And other governors and kings who've had to run and hide have brought their treasures to this temple. And so the, the people, the priests who take care of this temple have been stockpiling it and storing it away for 2,400 years in this temple. In 2011, there is lawsuits about how it was being managed. So the Supreme Court of India said, will you open the chambers where this treasure has been kept? Open. They had, they had, at the time, they knew that they had six chambers. And They go down to open one of them and there was a lawyer who was there to observe and help keep records. And he said when they went through the doors, they had to go through several doors with different keys. When they finally went in, he said there was there's obviously no light in this chamber, but just slight rays of light shone in through the door. And he said it looked like looking at the sky at night with no moon and just seeing the stars shine. The wooden boxes that had been collecting them for centuries had disintegrated. So there were just piles of gold filling the chamber. They they ended up opening five of the six chambers. They found things like a golden throne made of pure gold. Covered in diamonds and big enough to seat an 18-foot statue. Imagine. The ceiling is not 18 feet tall. It was a throne big enough to seat a statue 18 feet tall. Covered in diamonds. There, was just, there, were, there were suits of armor covered in gold. When They only opened five of the six chambers, and then they found two more that they didn't even know existed. I'm sorry, three more. Yeah, two more. So there are eight chambers. And they estimated that if they opened each one of the chambers and totaled it all up, there would be a trillion dollars worth of gold in the chamber. And you're like, Joe, why are you telling me about this temple with a trillion dollars worth of gold and diamonds and treasure? Because Solomon says wisdom is more valuable than that temple. Like We so often go, if I just got a little bit more money, if my retirement count got a little bit bigger, or maybe if somebody else gave me honor, and Solomon says, no, wisdom is better. Kids, spend your life on wisdom, not on that kind of treasure. And so will will each one of us change how we think about wisdom and how we value it? Will we orient our entire lives not to being debt-free, but to being filled with wisdom? Solomon says, get wisdom because it is so valuable. The third guide to getting insight, to getting wisdom, is live wisely in your close relationships. Verses 21 to 35 begin to lay out for us that if, if we get wisdom, it has to show up in our neighborhood and in our house. 21 says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. There will be life for you and an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse and takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. You see, we can think theoretically about wisdom and insight. Oh, I want to value that. And then Solomon says, my son, it has to be lived out on your block in your house with your family, with the people in your workplace, or wisdom is nothing. The call is to live wisely in your close relationships because wisdom is proven in those places. Wisdom is not proven just in the big decisions that we have to make about careers and relationships. Wisdom is proven with how we treat and love, how we think about the inclination of our heart towards our neighbors. And so this passage just lays out these do nots. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. He's laying these out saying that wisdom is proven both in our actions and even in the intentions of our heart. We live in a world that just says, well, we can say whatever we want. We can just throw out lies about other people Because maybe we don't know if they're true or not. And this is no. It's the words that you use. The intentions of your heart towards the people that are close to you prove wisdom. It's what we see in the New Testament when we look at the requirements for pastors and elders and church leaders. There's not a lot of requirements for them. They they must teach sound doctrine. Teach what's true from the Bible. But it's specifically, do they live out wisdom in their personal relationships? able to love their wife, to to lead their children? Are they well known in the community because of how they treat other people? Because the thing that God cares about is do we live out wisdom in our close relationships? Our family and our neighbors are the ones that prove that we actually are wise. So if we were to get really personal for a second, we would have to say, does my wife think I'm very wise? Does my husband think that I'm very wise? Do my kids, would they say, Dad loves wisdom? Would my parents say, Ah, oh, his heart is inclined to listen, to respond to God, to trust in the Lord with all of his heart. What I want for you and what I want for me is to see wisdom in our houses and on our blocks and in our workplaces So that people go, wow, these are people that really lean in to listen to the discipline of the Lord. Trusting in the Lord with all their heart. Submitting to God in all their ways. So the call is, will you live wisely in your close relationships? And the fourth guide to getting insight is seek insight in your heart. Seek to get insight in your heart. Chapter four, the whole thing is really on this idea of will you prize and guard wisdom? Will you prize and guard wisdom above all things? Verse eight says, cherish her. and She will exalt you, embrace her and she will honor you. Verse 13 says, hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. So chapter 4 is laying out for us, you must prize it, you must guard it, you must grab it. And then beginning in verse 20, he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This whole thing is saying get wisdom in your heart because it is the springs of life. That's the image that Jesus gives us when he says that good trees produce good fruit. And bad trees produce bad fruit. You see, we can easily come up to a bad tree and try and glue on or staple on good fruit, trying to make it look different. But Jesus was saying, no, you must, have, you must have roots on the inside to produce good fruit. And this here in this proverb is, from your heart flow the springs of your life. So the question for each one of us is, when I look at my heart, what comes out of it? Or maybe, when I look at the fruit of my life, what must be said about the spring inside? You see, we can look at this and go, "Oh wow, I must value wisdom. I must pursue this." But so often my life is it's anxiety coming up out of my heart, It's anger coming up and bubbling up, It's harsh words and meanness coming out of my mouth. What good news could there be in this passage for somebody like me? When the passage says, "Whatever you do, get insight." And yet here I am with a a heart that produces anger, fear, anxiety, greed. Where's the good news for you and I? The good news in this passage is that even though this passage condemns us, leading us to to where we should should be the ones like in chapter 4, verse 17 says, they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. I'm the one that should eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. You're the one that should eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But we know that Luke tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus is the one who fully embodied this passage, getting insight even though it hurt. He's the one who got insight, valuing it above all else. He's the one who lived wisely so that everybody that was close to Him would say yes is wise. Jesus is the one who had a good heart producing good fruit. And yet, Jesus is the one who ate the bread of wickedness in our place and drinks the wine of violence in our place. You say, Joe, how could that be? How can we know for sure the story of the Bible is that God made the world and that He made it good. And that He made Adam and Eve to be little kings under Him, calling them to live wisely in relationship with Him. But instead of instead of living with God as king, Adam and Eve and every person after them said, no, we will live our own way. We will be our own kings. We are going to do our own things. We want our own kind of wisdom, God. So the Bible says that God will one day judge all of His enemies. Adam and Eve and you and I alike. But instead of leaving us as His enemies, Jesus came and lived the life of wisdom that we should live. And died the death of a foolish man That we should die. And was raised back to life so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ actually can gain the reward that Jesus gained with His wise life. So instead of this passage crushing us, we can instead go to Jesus and say, whatever you do, get insight. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to come to you for insight. Trusting that you can put that on the inside and so I can trust your heart even when it hurts. I can value it properly because you have taken hold of this for me. And you will produce the fruit in my life of wisdom that I want to see. So then we can begin to imagine, what does that look like in our families? When we're not trying to mold our lives in wise ways from the outside, but instead wisdom begins bubbling up on the inside in our hearts. I don't know about you. But I get so anxious about, is this the right decision or is this the right way? But this passage says that those who have wisdom on the inside will see it bubble up in springs of life. And so this becomes a passage of good news for our homes and for our relationships. This becomes good news for our church and for our community. Whatever you do, get inside, and we can say, yes, Jesus, we will take Let's Pray in Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you that you call us to get insight and you give it to us. We can ask and you give freely to us. We can trust your heart in the discipline. We can know that wisdom that you give is more valuable than any treasure. And that as we get that in Christ, it will begin to bubble up in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.